worse than that. And so now we're going to uh, turn to God's Word and uh, to our message. This morning, uh, we are also meeting together for uh, Lord's Supper. And I just want to say that uh, if you're uh, from a, another fellowship, you're visiting, we'll explain. But uh, everybody is welcome to join together with us if you know and love the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And we will explain that in a little while. But I mention this now because what we're doing this morning is sharing together in a meal. And it's a meal of witness. It's a meal of testimony because it is important to us. And today, uh, as, uh, uh, if you've been coming along to our uh, morning services of recent, you'll know that we started a few weeks ago a series looking at the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, we'd gone from John's Gospel and... Uh, you could imagine turning the page over from John's Gospel and finding the book of Romans if the Acts of the Apostles wasn't present. And you would think to yourself, now how in the world did this happen? How did the church, how did the uh, Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ make its way from rural Judea all the way to the capital of this vast empire? Well-organized empire, but an empire nonetheless. And you would be missing a great deal as to what had happened. And you'd be scratching your head and thinking to yourself, how could this possibly have taken place? So the acts of the apostles are absolutely vital for us to be able to understand exactly what took place. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ grew. And of course, the acts of the apostles helps us to understand how this is continuing to happen. And for those of us who were able to meet yesterday for uh, the service of thanksgiving for deep tea, there we saw many people who were believers from the subcontinent of India. And I was talking to uh, three ladies uh, uh, from India. Um, they were uh, uh, full of the joy of the Lord. And one of them was called Gloria. And Gloria was just explaining the fact that she's the first generation believer in her family. Now the downside to this from a human perspective, is that the rest of her family, all of them, don't want to have anything to do with her. Because she's come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have ostracized her. They have pushed her to one side because she's no longer a Hindu. As she no longer sees all the different gods, millions of them, hundreds at least. And she's no longer interested in this because she's found the one true God, She's no longer interested in worshipping little statues made of wood that are dead. That can't do anything for her. She's no longer interested in bringing offerings of fruit and food and so on to a little carved statue that's kept in the corner of the house. Because she's found, it's been revealed to her, the God who created the universe has drawn her to himself, and she now worships him. And this church that is spoken of here in the Acts of the Apostles is still spreading around the world. Sometimes we get the idea in the West that, you know, we're going to be, there's going to be more of us, more Canadians, more people from Britain, more people from America in heaven than anybody else. And that's just not the case. From the statistics and the understanding of the church in China that we have, there will be more Chinese believers than the whole population of Canada if every single one of us was a believer. 
And so there's some surprises coming, but we look forward to those surprises. But as I said, talking to Gloria just did me such a power of good to be able to speak to this. She was only about this tall. (laughs) But she couldn't stop talking about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what this, 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 this book, the Acts of the Apostles, is all about. And so let's just read the first uh, few verses. Um, uh, we'll, in fact, we'll, uh, yeah, just one to eight. Uh, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles. Please notice the word commandments to the apostles of whom he had chosen to whom he had presented himself alive and after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during the 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, because of all that, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. And that's the word we're going to look at this morning. Witnesses to me, the witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as we saw last week and the week before that and to the ends of the earth. So we have a very, very clear understanding of exactly what's taking place Uh, here and the implications that it has for us. Let's just read a few verses from uh, 1 Peter to help us begin to understand the uh, message that uh, we're looking at. 1 Peter 3 verses 13 to 17. And who is he who will harm you? If you become followers of what is good, okay, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And a stunning statement here, which I think we so easily just just trip over in our minds. Listen, verse 15. But sanctify... The Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience. That when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. 
and we thank God for his word. Now, for our young people here, uh, I hope that you received one of these sheets as you came in. And if you have a pen, this is to help you to take in uh, the uh, details of, uh, of our message this morning. You can also go to our church app and you will find the interactive version on the church app. Uh, so if your uh, mum or your dad says that you're not allowed to look at your phone during the course of the service, you can do as long as you're uh, logged on to the church app and you will be able to type into your phone the details and then you can email it to yourself. And if you want to, you can email it to me and we'll have a look at it. And if anyone wants to fill out the sheet, there it is. And if you want to go and collect one, there may be some left, I don't know, at the back there. So during our Sunday morning services, we've begun to look at the Acts of the Apostles. And we've understood very clearly that before we get to chapter 2, where all these exciting things happen, we discover that the Lord Jesus has been coming and visiting the apostles, visiting the disciples over a period of 40 days. And as he comes to them, he comes and then suddenly he vanishes again. He comes back and he vanishes again. And each time he comes to speak to them, he comes and he reminds them of the core, the important aspects of the Christian faith, the things that they need to have ready so that when they go into all the world, when they go to proclaim the gospel, they know what it is that they're sure of, that they're certain of, that they're able to do this. And then the Holy Spirit will come. But it's the preparation that was required. And sadly, when we look at our church today of the Lord Jesus Christ, we so often find the most ill-prepared believers and Christians you can imagine. Some of us hardly know whether we're coming or going. We struggle to turn to the Scriptures, to know what is being said and spoken of. Sometimes going to church is pretty well the only aspect we're prepared for in terms of our Christian faith. But our Christian faith is everything. At least it should be. And so we discover very clearly that there was preparation that had to be taking place. And last week we looked at uh, uh, the uh, end part of uh, verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. And we compared those words, notice, spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ there in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 1. Very clearly, uh, spoken by our Lord and Saviour. And, uh, and we, we recognized as we turned to uh, Mark chapter 16 and we compared the words again spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ as to what it is that we should be doing and, uh, in terms of proclaiming the gospel into the whole world. I'll just uh, turn over the pages here. Sorry. <clears throat> so uh, verse 8 is our text for this morning. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we see very clearly the instructions that are given to the disciples. Now, of course, the disciples weren't able to go to the entire world. So we discover very clearly the, the emphasis that is given in Acts chapter 1, is an ongoing ministry. And here we are today with the resources that we have to go into the world and to preach the gospel. Uh, we discover that we have things like apps, we have things like uh, the internet, uh, we have things uh, like uh, radio and television. Uh, we have incredible power at our uh, fingertips, if you like, when it comes to completing the task that was set for us. 
And so this task to go into the world and to preach the gospel to every creature, as we discovered in Mark 16, is something that we need to take very seriously and we need to understand that it is what we should be involved in. We've already discussed um, that how would it be possible for this frightened group of men who are, even as we've read the scriptures here, they're locked inside an upper room, you know, the door is barred, the windows have been shut because they're afraid. And this is the group that have been entrusted with the task of proclaiming the gospel to the whole world. But at the moment, they have trouble going out to the street in front of the room where they are to say anything. And our Lord Jesus knows this. And so he's coming and he's speaking to them and he's encouraging them to understand the core elements, the central pillars, if you like, the foundations of the Christian faith. And then he's saying to them, you will have an enabler who will come. Because on your own you can't do it. I am going back to my Father. But the enabler, the Holy Spirit will come. And when he comes, he will empower you to be able to do things that you obviously can't imagine that you'd have the ability to do right now. And one of them appears to be walking out the front door. And so we discover that this is so important. But here in chapter 1, we find that our Lord Jesus, in these 40 days, comes and he goes and he reminds them of the basics. And we've spoken about the resurrection, the resurrection from the dead. We as believers would have absolutely nothing to say if Jesus had not been raised from the dead. We wouldn't bother meeting here because there would be no power. God would have failed. But we meet today and what took place yesterday with deep tea was because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have something to say. We have something to proclaim. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Listen, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... What does the scripture say? You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The resurrection so important. But we discovered also, as we see here in these verses, that the kingdom of God was spoken. And we know that the kingdom of God reigns in the hearts of all who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this kingdom is stretching right the way around the world. And it keeps on growing. You know, we might think that the church in Canada is struggling... But I assure you there are places in the world where you and I, our socks would be blown off if we were to go along and to see the way that people, even in that vast country of India, if you follow what's going on, you know that Hinduism is an absolutely evil thing. And one of the things it does is keep people in poverty. And yet in those lower classes, the caste system that they have, the Dalek people, are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ at phenomenal rates. And the Indian government is trying to stop it. They don't let missionaries go to India anymore very easily. You have to go as a computer engineer or you know, repair airplanes or something to, 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 to go in to that country. Because they don't want to see 
the church growing. But you know what? They can't stop it. And last week we talked about the gospel going to all of the world. And this week, as it's our Lord's Supper, we very briefly want to consider the word witness that we have there in verse 8. The word witness or witnesses. Now, I have to say that the word witness appears in Scripture a great deal. But as I talk and as I think to myself, I include myself in this category, just what does it mean to us? What does it mean? Well, it's obviously important because it's here in this verse And it says that we are to be witnesses to Jesus. Now, that statement alone helps us to understand what the problem is in many churches today. Because what we're being told here, very clearly, is that we have to be witnesses to Jesus. But something that Jesus has done in us. And so the definition that we have is beginning to point clearly to the fact that we have to be a witness to the work of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. Now the word martyr, do we all know what a martyr is? We might think we do, and I think we probably do, but the word martyr is actually derived from the word witness. A martyr is a witness of Jesus. And that was the uh, original use. If you go back to the Greek word, you will see that connection very, very clearly. And so martyrs were men and women who were put to death because of the witness that they had to Jesus, because they had witnessed Jesus at work within their hearts and within their lives. Now, when you read, as we've read uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 there, those verses 13 to 17, when you read the history of the period in which Peter wrote, you find that the Roman emperor Nero used to take Christians and he would make living torches out of them. For our young people, I don't want to frighten you too much, but this is the reality of history. He would soak their bodies in oil and tar tie them to a stake, lift them up, and light up the streets with them. That was just something that he wanted to do, to make an example, to martyr these people who had witnessed Jesus at work in their hearts and in their lives. There are some places in the world today where to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be somebody who would be prepared to say, I have witnessed Jesus at work in my heart because he saved me, could mean death. It is still illegal in Saudi Arabia and Pakistan and many other Muslim countries to change your religion. And so we discover that there are places in the world where to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, is a very, very terribly dangerous thing to do. And we need to be prayerful for brothers and sisters in situations like that. However, 
whilst at the moment we can feel that in most places we have the freedom to propagate our faith, to talk about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning I want to talk about witnesses who are facing suffering. And it may come as a surprise to some of you, but I believe the message for us this morning is that whilst it has been hard for Christians in times past, and whilst it is hard for some of our brothers and sisters in countries like India, where your whole family will shun you, cut you out of society, or worse still, in somewhere such as Saudi Arabia or Pakistan, North Korea, you and I, if we are witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Scriptures tell us that we have to be ready for suffering. Comes as a surprise to some people. <clears throat> it used to be that we could uh, have freedom for protest and petition. Even here in Canada, we're suddenly seeing a change that's taking place. Because, friends, I have to let you know, and again, this can be a shock to some people, is that our society doesn't like us. We're not the people that society wants anymore. There was a time when this country's law and legal system and society was based upon God's Word. There was a time when our children knew the Word of God. They didn't have to come from what you'd call a Christian family, but at school they were taught it. The way that anti-blasphemy or, or blasphemy laws were pertained here in this country. You couldn't just say things against God. But all of this has changed, and the speed at which it's changing, the rapidity of which it is changing, is enormous. And the challenges that we as believers facing is absolutely colossal. There are freedoms that two years ago we took for granted, and suddenly those freedoms have been snatched away from us. Perhaps I'm talking of, uh, of vaccinations and so on, and, and, and some are vaccinated, some are not. But I'm just pointing out that we discover that without us realizing it, about 20% of the population are prisoners and can't leave Canada. There's worse prisons in the world to be. But that's the reality of what's happened. But laws are changing, and suddenly the Word of God is described as fairy tales, myths. And in law... That's the description that is given to the things that we believe in the Scriptures when it comes to conversion therapy and so on. And we will discover that this is just the beginning. This is just the initial stages that are taking place. But the speed at which things are taking place bring us great concern and worry. The beginning of the removal of rights in respect of our understanding of the Word of God and its preciousness. God's Word is described as hate speech publicly by people. And now, changing, and we are seeing restrictions that are being placed upon us that I had never thought in my lifetime. There's going to come a time, said Peter, when you're going to go through fiery trials, through a furnace of persecution, through what you could describe as extraordinary sufferings. 
You know, some of us perhaps remember at school where we were called names or whatever it was. You know, you go to church and people um, would laugh at you and so on. But that's nothing compared to what Scripture actually says that we're facing. And Peter not only warns us that this is going to happen, but he reminds us how we need to act, how we need to react in times of trial. And friends, this is where the reality of our Christian faith is going to become very, very clear to us. Because we will find that there will be people who, one, will run away from persecution. There will be others who will rile and fight against it. But Peter tells us how we are to respond to it. Peter is saying, when you go through times of trials and testings, remember they are also times of opportunity. I remember talking to a man, I've told you this story, I'm sure, before. Uh, a Polish man who was a taxi driver in Poland during the times of communism. He was a believer and he had a, a, a stack of, uh, of New Testaments in Polish under the passenger seat in his taxi. And every time anybody got in, he would share the gospel. He would give them a copy of the scriptures and other material as well. He's driving along, two men in long coats. He should have been sharper. Hail him, he gets, they get in and they tell him where to, uh, to take him take them, and uh, he starts his usual uh, patter, if you like, and he tells them about his love for the Lord Jesus. Out comes the New Testaments. The man taps him on the shoulder and tells him to take him to the Stasi headquarters in Vashava. And he knows the mistake that he's made, and yet is it a mistake? Three days later, he's released, having been treated very, very badly, to find that his family have been taken out of their apartment, his daughter has been taken out of medical school that she was training for. And they're put into dormitory accommodation with all the other people that don't tick the right boxes. And Peter says, you will face fiery trials. And friends, the scriptures apply to us, not just people in North Korea. we will go through times and those times perhaps are sooner than we think but they will be amazed that we don't give up our faith if we are a witness if we have witnessed the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life and that's why I said churches are full of two groups of people there are witnesses those that have seen Jesus have experienced him working in their hearts and their lives. And then there's the others who go to church because their parents did or because they think it's the right thing to do. They're quite happy to call themselves not believers. But they're not witnesses. And when the fire comes, we shall see the difference. You see, somebody who is a witness doesn't return evil for evil. Somebody who's a witness doesn't criticize, doesn't create problems. And they're going to say, what's the difference? What is it that's different about you? And you're going to say, I'm different because I have a living hope. Notice the word living. 
Peter had written about it back in chapter 1 verse 3 when he said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through, wait for it, and remember that they've been reminded in, in Acts chapter 1, who through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. Now, said Peter, when you go through difficulties, remember that living hope. Remember the hope is alive and it's living. And let that living hope show forth in your life. Be a witness. And the officials, the state police, and the people around you are going to say, there's something different about this person. And they're going to come and they'll ask you about it. What is different about you? And you're going to say, well, I have a wonderful living hope. And this has been shown and demonstrated. My wife showed me a beautiful um, account of uh, Corrie ten Boom, that lovely Dutch lady who ended up in Ravensbrück in a terrible concentration camp for, for, for sheltering Jews. Uh, and this, this National Socialist judge who she's brought before, just a young woman. And what does she do? She witnesses to him. Uh, and they become friends because she had the living hope of the Lord Jesus in her. Now notice in verse 15 of chapter 3 that Peter says we should do this with meekness and fear. Now, sometimes we want to shout, make our point. But Peter says, no, 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 that's, that's not the way you behave. Meekness and fear. What does this mean? It means that we do it with holy reverence. We shouldn't be big-mouthed. We shouldn't have a loud mouth. And we shouldn't be arrogant and critical. Friends, it's too bad when Christians go through persecution and trials that they do return evil for evil. And they do return riling for riling. You see, when we react like this, we find that we're not a blessing. We're not able to be the blessing that we should be. Peter says you should instead give an answer, but do it with meekness and reverence and love and let people know that Jesus is your Lord. It's not easy. You know, I can't hide that fact from you. We can quickly become angry. I do. My father used to tell me every pot boils over. And he was right. We can start to shout. We can become aggressive. But according to God's word, that's not how we're to react. Peter reminds us that we will face fiery trials. But Peter also reminds us how we are to act and behave when this happens. And in the section of scripture we have here. There are three. Ways that we're told to deal with this. 
we have to deal with the conditions that are before us. You see, if you and I are going to be faithful witnesses in times of trial, faithful like Daniel, and we spoke of Daniel this morning, faithful like those three young Hebrew men who were thrown into the fiery furnace, but they were faithful. And remember, they didn't say God's going to save us. He said, if God saves us, because they recognized that it was God's will. Faithful like the apostles, and wait for it, faithful like the Lord Jesus Christ himself, what is it that we need? Well, number one, Peter tells us we have to have a courageous attitude. Courage is something that's missing in the church of Jesus Christ today. Certainly, I think and feel here in countries like ours here in Canada or in the United Kingdom, for example, how courageous are we? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. So number one, a courageous attitude. And I suspect that Peter was referring to what our Lord had said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. The lesson for us is very simply this. Expect. Expect to suffer unjustly. Don't be surprised by it. Just expect it. Expect that when they tell the truth, or when you tell the truth rather, they'll lie about you. Except that when you love... They'll hate you. Just accept it. It's part of the world. But don't get bitter. Don't get critical. Just be faithful and just remember above everything else that your Savior is reigning on His throne and everything is in His hands. Peter is talking about suffering and he's telling us that there's some very practical truths that you and I need to lay hold of if we're going to be the kind of witnesses that we ought to be when suffering comes our way. And this will be the sifting that takes place as to those who are real witnesses, those who've experienced and seen and witnessed the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts and lives and those who haven't. Those who say they have, but they haven't. Now, anybody can suffer. Anybody can suffer for doing wrong. And many people do suffer for doing wrong. If a Christian boy or a Christian girl falls in love and marries a person who is not saved, who is not a believer, I'm telling you now, they will suffer. Young people, listen to me. You will suffer. Might be the best looking guy in the entire universe, the best looking girl in the entire universe. But if she's not saved, if he's not saved, don't get yourself into trouble. If you tell lies, you will suffer. Nobody likes a liar. But here are Christians who are suffering for doing right. Anyone can suffer and complain about it, but a Christian suffers and glorifies God. Uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, Peter tells us. 
If you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. And this is the word that means there's a welling up of joy inside us. In chapter 1, he talks about joy unspeakable. You see, that's something else that you experience as a witness. If you're a witness of Jesus, that joy of knowing Jesus just wells up inside your heart and life. Nobody else can understand it. But it's unspeakable. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book, Joy Unspeakable, of the work and the power of the Holy Spirit within our hearts and within our lives because it is something that the world cannot understand. Many other people in churches cannot understand. Sometimes they'll even be critical for us because of that evidence of the joy of the working of the witness of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. But it's a joy unspeakable. And then we're told, do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Now that's not easy. And I'm not suggesting this is easy. The word troubled means anxious. We can all be anxious at times. We shouldn't be. Uh, the word troubled means being pulled apart, being pulled in different directions. It means being agitated. But the scriptures say here, do, don't be afraid. Why? Firstly, you're uh, you're doing that which is good. You're suffering for righteousness sake. And if you're doing good, then God is with you. Verse 12. Listen to this verse, a lovely verse. The eyes of the Lord, God's looking. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now it may not look like that it may seem as though you're losing the battle but friends we don't walk by sight we walk by faith Peter says don't be afraid he says have a courageous attitude don't don't be afraid and when you turn to uh, later on in in Acts uh, you discover the boldness that people were able to go out and to preach the gospel. And if you take just Acts chapter 4, for example, where we're told about the boldness of Peter and the other apostles, and then in verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and then again in chapter 4, 29, the church prayed, and now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. And then same chapter, chapter 4, verse 31, and when they had prayed, uh, the place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. You see, boldness is one of the signs of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do we speak with boldness of all that God has done for us, the witness that we have seen in our lives? And I would suggest that we notice very carefully that it is boldness, not arrogance but boldness that we speak the things of heaven. The kind of attitude of confidence and courage that lets people know we're trusting in the Lord. Are we afraid to tell people this? You see, when you have a courageous attitude, it's because you're doing good. You know that you're on the winning side. And we rejoice in this, if we're living 
godly lives and doing the things of God, God wants us to have a courageous attitude. Don't be afraid. Secondly, we need to have a consecrated heart. Verse 15 simply says this, and we mentioned it as we were reading it together. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Literally, what Peter is saying here is sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. When Jesus Christ is Lord, you don't have to be afraid. And Peter here is quoting a section of scripture from Isaiah uh, chapter 8, uh, verses 13 and 14. Now the background to this, and I'll say it very, very quickly, but it's just important. The background that we have here in Isaiah chapter 8 is that Ahaz is the king, and the king of Judah and Assyria has invaded Israel. Now Syria uh, wanted Ahaz to join in a confederacy to fight against Assyria. But Ahaz said that he wouldn't do it. However, behind their backs, Ahaz was negotiating with Assyria and doing the wrong thing. Now, the prophet Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, what are you doing? Playing all this dirty politics, deceitfulness. Why are you talking about a confederacy? Why are you afraid of Assyria? Why are you afraid of Syria? And this is what he says now, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. What's Isaiah saying? He's saying to King Ahaz, don't trust Assyria. Don't trust Syria. Don't even trust yourself. If you'll make God the Lord of your life, he'll take care of all the circumstances that you find yourself in. Now, we touched on this last week, and I need to say this very quickly because uh, conscious that time is, uh, is uh, ticking by very, very quickly. But it's so important. I can't just skip these sections of, of Scripture. Uh, what we, we spoke about it last week, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We spoke about the fact that so many Christians today just don't understand that to be a Christian means that the Lord Jesus Christ has to be the Lord of your life. Not just part of it. Not just Sunday. Not just the things that you're happy to give to him. But it has to be everything. And people today who often call themselves Christians, they just don't get it. In fact, the problem is that they just don't want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, if you set Jesus Christ apart as Lord in your life, if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your heart, He'll give you the joy that you need. He'll take care of you. He'll deal with the fears that you have. You won't have to be afraid of what people are saying or doing. Just set Him Apart. That's what sanctified means. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. It means to set him apart. And when Jesus Christ is the Lord of your heart, that takes care of all your feelings, all of your fears, all of the problems that you're facing. If you submit to the Lord... He has to take care of these things. 
do you begin to see it? Because if what he says in his word is true, and it is, then it means that if we have that right relationship with us, he has to deal with these issues, these problems that we face, the life that we live, the relationships we have with other people. If you don't submit to the Lord, he can't take care of these things for you. Do you see? Which leads us to the third and last requirement. We must not only have a courageous attitude and a consecrated heart, but we must also have something which is incredibly hard, particularly for men here. What is it? A clear conscience. Verse 16, having a good conscience. Uh, Peter has a lot to say about conscience. Uh, verse 19 of chapter 2, he says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. Chapter 3, verse 21, the answer of a good conscience towards God. The conscience is your inner judge that accuses you of wrong things. It also approves us of the right things that we do. It's that consciousness, that filter that our, 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 um, our, our hearts, our desires, the things we say, the thoughts that we have are put through. But friends, I don't know if you've understood this, but your conscience is only as good as it's been educated. Have you considered that? It's only as good as it has been educated. You see, a dirty conscience, a seared conscience, an evil conscience just doesn't function properly. Our conscience is a bit like a window. Why do we have windows? No, we haven't got many windows in the barn. <laughs> but there's one over there. There's one, two, three, four at the back there. What, what, what do windows do? They let light in. And our conscience is like a window that lets the light in so that you can see what is right and what is wrong. And friends, if the windows get dirty, and Joe and I found in our house on one occasion that the windows were getting dirty and we needed to give them a good clean to let the light come in because you'd be amazed how quickly windows can get dirty. But if they get dirty... You don't have much light. You find that you just cannot see. And you're no longer able to determine between right and wrong. And Peter says, have a clear conscience. Have a clean conscience. Be sure you know deep down inside that what you're doing what you're saying, what you're thinking, is right. In our men's fellowship this week, we spoke about this. We spoke about the discipline of the mind. And we concluded that possibly the greatest problem that the church of Jesus Christ faces today is this. Christians without Christian minds... Christians 
who don't think, and I'm not sure that this is a word, Christianly, but I hope you understand it. And the scriptures, the Bible tells us constantly that what goes into our minds determines what comes out of our hearts, determines our actions, determines how we live our lives, what we say to other people, how we treat our parents, how we treat the guy next door, the person we work with. And the scriptures constantly remind us of this, constantly. Paul in Philippians 4 verse 8, and we close with this verse, prescribes his personal program in one sublime sentence. He simply says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about them. And keep thinking about them. And keep on thinking about them. And when you and I have a courageous attitude and a consecrated heart and a clear conscience, then we'll have a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ even in difficult times. And when you have a courageous attitude and a consecrated heart and a clear conscience, people will know that we are witnesses of Him. We love Him. We believe in Him. We trust in Him. We have received from Him receive the purposes that he has for us in our lives and he grants us the strength for the trials that we go through then you'll be able to give an answer in meekness and fear you'll be able to lead people to Christ because you're using your times of testing as times of testimony to the glory of God and Deepti Sharma used the times of great testing that she had for the glory of God. Why she had cancer, I can't tell you. Why she died with a nine-month-old baby, I can't tell you. But I can tell you that yesterday, perhaps the beginning of something tremendous has begun as the gospel, not just spoken of by me, but everybody else that spoke in that service, was spoken to about 150 people from the Asian community. What a wonderful opportunity we had. What a joy that we were able to do that. In Jesus.